Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. The only path that I knew was to sell drugs. That was the path. That was the path that I knew that I saw my uncle by, by my grandmother, a beautiful home, off selling drugs. I saw my uncle drive the slickest cars, Porsches and, 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 and drop tops and convertibles. I, I seen him do all this off selling drugs. So guess what? That was the path that I was on. Every black male in my community, that was the that's what we looked up to. That was the path that we wanted. Did we know it was dangerous in that path? Yes. It's danger in every path that you take. It might not be somebody shooting and trying to kill you or things like that. But man, you could be, you could be have a Fortune 500 company and be on your way to work and be in a car accident and die. It's dangerous everywhere. But you try not to think about those dangers and you you focus on the task at hand. And the task at hand was. I'm trying to make it out together. That was Wendell White, my guest coming up, describing a world he has long put behind him. A world of drug dealing and survival in the tough, poverty-stricken Englewood community on Chicago's south side. He has a book out on his life and you won't want to miss it. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, Life on Planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Wendell White will offer us great insights as a black man in America, talk about his faith in God, and the problems facing black and poor communities in America. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Welfare was a way, another way again to eliminate the black man out of the house. That now I don't need you to pay the bills. Today, Wendell White and his family live in Milwaukee. He is a businessman, mentor, and now the author of the devil thought he had me the book tells of how wendell white turned his life around after following in his mother's footsteps selling drugs until one fateful day when a drug buyer paged him to purchase two and a half ounces of crack cocaine sure look it's grand to have you back to protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. My guest is Wendell White, and he's the author of The Devil Thought He Had Me. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Wendell, welcome to my show. How is life with you these days? Man, uh, life is great. Life is, life is great, man. It's pleasant. It wasn't always so pleasant. You're in a very good place now, and uh, you've gone through some tough times. I've been told and I've read in your bio, and of course, you account for that in your new book. I want to read something from your biographical notes to set the scene here. At 18 years old, you 
lay trapped in the trunk of a car and assumed it would be your last ride. Battered from a beating during a drug deal gone wrong, all you could think about was your 19-month-old son. You prayed, you asked God for forgiveness, you steeled yourself to face the consequences of the sinful life you were living, and you wondered in angst, how in the world did I get here? There's a lot in that. You're clearly a religious person, and you had some kind of transformation in your life. So could you take us back to that moment and the events that preceded it and led to it? It really all started when I was a child um, growing up, just my entire my entire family sold drugs. So that's all I was accustomed to. That's all I was around. I mean, it was just like um, part of the family business, if, 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 if it makes sense, if that's a business or not. But it, 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 when I woke up in the morning, I'd never said that I wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, at the age of 12 years old, I knew I was going to sell drugs. And, and that came from um, just being around somebody who I looked up to was my uncle at the time who I looked up to. And he was uh, he was quite he had a lot of money selling drugs. Like he he topped a million dollars at like 21, 22 years old selling drugs. I remember one night we had just came from California um, visiting his children and uh, something had happened. And this is the first night that I found out that he sold drugs. And um, he, he took us to my to one of my auntie's house and he gave me a, a big wad of cash in my pocket. He told me it was fifty thousand dollars that he was putting in my pocket. Then he gave me a bag of money and it had to be like he told me it was like two hundred and some thousand dollars in the, in the bag. And not for me to go to sleep until my auntie came home. Now, you doing this to a 12 year old, you know, so um, right then and there, you know, back then I'm 40 years old now. So. Back then, it wasn't cell phone. Cell phone wasn't around. So I did what the average 12-year-old would do. I went into the bathroom and just began to take the money out the back and play in the mirror with it, you know, and just put the money in front of me like I was taking pictures and things like that, the things that we see on social media now. And I knew right then and there that I was going to be a drug dealer. I knew right then and there that, like, this man who I look up to as a father figure because my father was not in my life, if he doing it, it's okay for me to do it. Man, I, I just took off with it. Um, at about 13, 14, I began to sell drugs. And um, man, my, my, like I said, my entire family sold drugs. Everybody, everybody in, my, in my family, everybody that I was around, all of my friends, everybody, it was going, it was, it, was, it was the end thing. Like a lot of people really don't understand, like, why do we tend, why do we, why do we sell drugs? A lot of us back in the days, back in the 90s and the 80s, we sold drugs. We sold drugs to escape problems. We sold drugs to make it out of the, 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 the neighborhoods that we were in and, um, you know, the, the, because we were seeking a better life because you, you can tell us that, you know, go to school, get an education, that that was going to give us the life that we wanted because we didn't see no we didn't we didn't we didn't see no benefit in that. How you telling me to go to school and, 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 and school going to help me when I'm coming home to no food, when I'm coming home to no lights? When I'm coming home to no adults in the house, when I do come home to the adults in the house, all the adults are addicted to the drugs that we sell it. So how do you tell me there's an alternative when I have never seen the alternative? So ultimately, um, man, we begin to we begin to sell drugs as a as a as young children. And um, as we grew older and grew older, um, 
man, we just began to get good at it and, and money was to be made. And then one summer, I don't want to give the entire book away, but one um, summer day, one thing led to another. And I was fighting for my life in the, in the, in the back of a trunk. I was fighting for my life after um, like 15, 20 guys had beat me with bets and beat me real bad. And that's really how I can really sum it all up, man. And it's just by the grace of God that I'm still alive. Why were they beating you up? What was causing that? Man, they wanted the drugs and the money. I see. They wanted the, they wanted the drugs and the money. You grew up in the south side of Chicago, the Englewood community. Can you yes. describe that? You, you gave us some idea of what it was like coming home to a broken home where drugs were pervasive and there was no food on the table. Was that like that throughout the community? Yeah, pretty much, especially in the especially in the in the in the, in the late '90s. I mean, the late '80s, early '90s, when 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 the crack epidemic had really took over the the black community and the black household. My mom never did any type of drugs. My mom never smoked or drank. She never did anything. But my mom sold drugs, and my mom had nine children. By the time she was, I believe, like 27 years old, she had nine children. With with no with no strong males in the house to really help her out with the nine children, it was she provided for us. It was either you know welfare or you know she was found a way. My mom never had a job. My mom didn't get a job. I don't remember my mom ever having a job till I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. These drugs that are sold in communities in America back then and even today. Where did they come from? I, I'm always curious about the whole distribution network. Well, the thing, well, the thing about it, if, and if we really want to be honest, if we, if, if we really want to be honest and tell the truth about, you know, what's going on with the with drugs. Well, one thing that I do know, um, the majority of the countries that produces drugs, where coca leaves and opium and things like that are grown, is not grown in America. So it has to get into America some type of way. And I have took trips. Um, I, I take a lot of trips and I you I have a passport and things like that. So you wonder, you you ask yourself if I need a passport to get in different countries and they 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 searching me thoroughly. You know, they they searching me thoroughly. Um if, if they find they if they think I'm I'm not answering a question the right way, they take me in a little back room and they go through all my personal items and they, 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 they search me and, and they, they degrade you as a human um, when you're going through customs like that. How do drugs get to America? How do how do drugs get into America if they really want to stop the drugs from getting into America? You can stop the drugs from getting into America if you really wanted to stop. But drugs is big business. And I learned this from I learned this from a, a, a kingpin drug deal, dealer that I that I once knew. And he, he set me down and he was telling me, like, he was copping like four or five hundred kilos of cocaine at a time, like the entire ships. And he was telling us he, he was telling me and another guy that I was with. He said, well, you the, 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 the FBI and the government have to be in, in, in tune with this when you get this type of drugs. You know, we, we pay them off. Pay off the us, FBI. Yes. To let us get these type. Is that pervasive within law enforcement circles payoffs? Well, the thing about it is, and we if we if we being honest with ourselves, and we being honest that you don't in United States, man, you don't do nothing without the government 
approval. And that's in any country. It ain't it ain't just the United States. That's in any country. Yeah. You don't it's, not, it's nothing that you could if the government want to stop it, they're going to stop it. If they if and, and they, that ain't just in the United yeah. States, that's in countries all over the world. If it want to if they want to stop it, they're going to stop it. So if it's not being stopped, evidently it's, it's got to be beneficial for them somewhere why, why it's not being stopped. You know, they could point the finger at the El Chapos and all this and all that, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, Man, El, 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 El Chapo just a small piece of the puzzle. He's he just a small piece of the puzzle. He stopped doing something that they asked him to do for him to be the number one drug dealer in the world that they that was the wanted most wanted drug dealer in the world. Is it always be with something that you that you stop doing that you you have to be stopped doing for them? You know, I didn't sink it on not even not in the in the in the government level, but I done sink it in in the cities where. You know, we done gangs done paid off police officers not to, you know, ride down the block and not to raid the 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 the, the dope spots and things like that. So everything could be bought with a price if you don't have morals. If 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 money is is if if money is what's fueling you to do something, you could be bought, and that's with anybody. Do drug dealers? target the poorest communities in America because that's what it seems like your community was poor. Well no the drug dealers don't don't target the poor community. The the, the people that bring the drugs over here target the poor community. You know and, and then while while we talking really talking about poor community, what do you consider the poor community? Because what I consider a poor community is not um poor in in resources and things like that. I I think when I think of poor I think of poor mindsets. See, uh, uh, your, your, your poor mindset is what makes you poor. It's not your community because for years and years they be trying to tell, they've been trying to tell the black community that we are the poorest community. But tell me this, why do we have all the restaurants in our community? Why is all the liquor stores in our community? Why is all the beauty supply houses and the nail techniques and things like that? Why is that in the community if our community is so poor? People not going to set up these type of restaurants and, and all these things that they thrive in businesses. They're not going to set this type of stuff up if it's no money being generated because it wouldn't make sense. But what the black community got to get out of, we just have a poor way of thinking. You know, that, that, and, that and that's the thing, like. I, I I learned this from a guy named John Maxwell. I don't know if you heard him. He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a growth expert. He's he, he said something that was so profound when he said that um the way we spend our time is way more way more important than the way we spend our money. But you could tell a person if you look at a person how they spend their money, you can really tell what they spend their time on. Go so ahead. sorry, Wendell. Um, you're saying that it's not necessarily a lack of resources in black communities it's it's a mindset as much as anything else absolutely and, and, and uh, along with the the lack of resources as well because it is a lack of resources and the and the, and, the, and the lack of job when, when, you, when you get um imprisoned and they putting felonies on your background it's, it's hard to get out and get a job because not no job want to hire you because of their, their insurance don't want to cover you because of your insurance so it it, it all uh intertwines together but a lot of it is, as a black man that grew up in a in a, in a, in a, in a poverty uh, stricken community, a lot of it is our mindset. Until we until we stop thinking like we, until we stop until we, we till we remove the poor think, then we can finally come out of profit. But we gotta we gotta stop with the poor thinking. We we think poorly. 
you got to stop saying that what you can't do. Well, I can't do this because of this. Or I can't do that. Now you got it's certain it's certain words that you can't even let come out of your mouth. Can't is one of those words you should never let come out of your mouth. It won't never happen. That should never come out of your mouth. You know, but you got to get into that mindset because guess what? I used to be like that until I put myself around different men that taught me how that was conducive to growing and environments that was conducive to grow and put myself around other black men that I that, 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 that I said, you know what? I can do this if I put my mind to it. I can reach this goal. I can climb this wall and climb over the wall. But at the end of the day, I had to see an alternative to know that it was an alternative. Is there anything else that should be done for black communities, poorer communities, underserved communities, as they're often described as? Should the government step in and do more? Absolutely. Ab ab absolutely. When, 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 we, when we deal with a government that, that, that they, let, they literally, literally burn money every single day. How, how, how is we ever in deficit when every day that y'all taking money and, 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 and putting it in fire every day? How is it? How is people homeless? How is people sleep, sleeping under bridges and stuff like this, eating out of the garbage? And we supposed to be the richest country in the world. How, how is people paying, have to be in debt hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to go get an education? So you're telling me to go get this education. That, that you keep on telling me, go get this education, go get this education. And if, and if my mom and my dad is, is not millionaires to pay for me to go to school and I got to get financial aid to go to school, now I'm $100,000 in debt and I'm going to go get a career that my entire career me working, I'm working basically to dig myself out of the debt that you told me that I had to go get to live this life that you told me that I, the only way I can live this life is if I got an education. But when I went and got the education that you told me I should live, I'm digging myself out the hole the entire, all the time that I'm alive. I, I die in debt. We'll be back right after this wee break when I will ask my guest, Wendell White, about the role of government as he sees it in breaking the cycle of deprivation we read about in the black communities in America. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. So what should the government be doing? Man, you know what, man? That's a great question. That, that, that's a great question. I mean, question. they're Why? spending a lot of money. See, it's a lot of people. You got to think. It's a lot of people, especially in the black community. We wake up every morning and we'll go punch a nine to five and then we'll come home and we'll pay our little bills and we work check to check. And, but... They never think that they can own their own business. They never think that they could be business owners of their own. You know, I, I just I just quit my job um, in 2020. Um, in November, October, it was in 2020. I, I, I walked away from my job. It was paying decent money, but I know that they had never paid me what I'm worth. So I had to get I had to sit down with my wife and my family and talk to them about a plan 
and let's and let's execute a plan. Let's put a plan together because if you if, if you never if you if you never step out on faith and trust God to say, God, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna I'm gonna step out on faith and say, you know, I believe that I can have a Fortune 500 company. I believe that my book can be a New York Times bestseller and somebody can buy my book and turn it into a movie that can save millions and millions of souls all around this, all around this planet. But we have to think like that. But like I said before, if you've never been around people that think like that, you would never understand. You would never uh, register that in your mind that, that, that things like that can really, really happen. So how did you put the drug lifestyle behind you and put your life on a very positive track? You moved out of Chicago. I moved out of Chicago um, in 2011. I moved out of Chicago. I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because things had just got so bad in Chicago for me. Um, it was a lot of stuff going on. It was uh, people um, trying to kill me. It was just a lot of stuff going on. And um, I moved out of Chicago and then I, I moved to Wisconsin. And then my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. She introduced me to this church. She introduced me to this church um, called Unity Gospel House of Prayer. And um, man, I heard the guy pass. I heard him speak a word. This was in 2014. I heard him speak a word in 2014, June 29, 2014. And I said, you know what? I done tried everything else. Let, I'm, I'm going to try Jesus. And man, that, that, that ultimately was the best decision that I've ever made in my life. So that grounded your life and things improved from there. And you went on a completely different path. You're now a businessman. You've written a book. Was it a very difficult transition leaving Chicago? Was there anything in the back of your head saying, oh, gee, have I made the right decision here? Absolutely, because the, the thing about it is, and, I, and, I, and, and to be honest with you, I struggle with it every day because you're going for something that you've been doing for 30 plus years to going to something that is basically foreign to you. So you always going to have it in the back of your mind. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? And then when you when you when you used to see um, thousands of thousands of dollars, you can make you can make two, three thousand dollars in two, three hours to saying I'm believing in God to do something that you can't see, that's kind of hard for anybody. I'm used to seeing money. I'm used to people coming up to me and they calling my phone and they saying, well, man, I want this and I want that and I got this and I got that. Now you're going to say, well, God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I need $2,500 to publish my book. I don't got the $2,500, but I know you have, and I don't know how it's going to work, but it end up working. But that's 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 kind of hard for anybody if they've never if they've never done. It's people that's, that's that's been born and raised in church their entire lives that still struggle with that. The name of your book is "The Devil Thought He Had Me," and we'll talk about that in a moment. It's a remarkable achievement. Uh, what about your family back in Chicago? You come from a very large family, and you said drug dealing was a major part of it. And at one stage, you as a young kid because of your uncle and his him being a quote-unquote a role model, not such a good one, clearly, you saw yourself going in that path, but you, you put that behind you. Yeah, and I ain't gonna, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say he wasn't a good role model. I've just, what I believe is that he taught me what he knew. We are all responsible for what we know. You can't be held responsible for what you don't know. And guess what? 
He taught me what he knew. I mean, we might say it's right, wrong, and different, but at the end of the day, you really can't knock him because guess what? Like I say, he only taught me what he knew. Just the way my mom did, all the people that I was around, we was only taught the things that we knew. What, what We were only taught the things that the, 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 the adults around us knew. And if they don't know nothing different, how could they teach us anything different? And that just, that just, that that's the same way with me and my children, with you and your children. Your children are going to do what they see dad do. If you don't set the, set the bar for them, who going to set it for them? That's like the uh, old saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So Absolutely. your uncle thought he was doing the right thing. Well, how can I say it wasn't a good path to go? And that was the only path I ever seen. If that was the only path. That I ever that I ever seen and I ever known. How can you say that that was it was not a good path? Only, what what I did know with taking this path, it was a possibility that I could go to jail, and it was a possibility that I can get killed. Those were all, all the possibilities that I was willing to I was I was willing to chance that because at the end of the day, like I said, I've never seen the, another alternative for for you for for anybody to say, well, you could have did something better. Well, somebody needed to show me better because ain't nobody never showed me better. What, what I knew, the path, the only path that I knew was to sell drugs. That was the path. That was the path that I knew that I saw my uncle by, by my grandmother, a, a beautiful home, off selling drugs. I saw my uncle drive the slickest cars, Porsches and, 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 and drop tops and convertibles. I, I seen him do all this off selling drugs. So guess what? That was the path that I was on. That was the path that majority of every black male in my community, that was the that's what we looked up to. That was the path that we wanted. Did we did we know it was dangerous in that path? Yes, it's danger. It's, it's danger danger in every path that you take. It might not be somebody shooting and trying to kill you or things like that. But man, you could be you could be have a Fortune five hundred company and be on your way to work and be in a car accident and die. It's dangerous everywhere. But you try not to think about those dangers and you you focus on the task at hand and the task at hand was I'm trying to make it out together. I'm trying to make it out of problem. I'm trying to feed my family. What might have changed that in your neighborhood so that kids and drug dealers and that whole culture uh, could be nipped in the bud or at least tamped down if there were maybe more community centers, more social workers, perhaps churches jobs clearly would help could the neighborhoods be recreated and made better and a place where good things could happen well i just believe like when you do your history on 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 the on the black community and the things that um the government did to to separate the black community by taking um the black man out of the household you know that that really was started the 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 whole downfall of where we're at right now because the black man was taken out of the household. So um there was no black men because once they started giving women what they call section eight and was saying that the black man couldn't live in the, the unit when you have section eight. So now this black man go from being a provider to feeling like you know he's no longer needed. And it was all done strategically you know, to get us to where we are right now. So where we are right now is just, it's sad where we are right now. It's sad where the black community are right now. I can't, am I solely going to blame it on, you know, the government? No, because even as a man, you still responsible for your responsibility. 
Nothing should stop you from raising your children. I have 11 children. Me and my wife have 11 children. And I've been in all of my, my children's lives since day one. So um, no, nobody can separate that. If only thing can separate that is death, you know. So at, at the end of the day, I still have to give some blame and, and lay some fault to my black brothers that 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 I that are having these children and, and not stepping up to the plate and being a good father figure for for the child. And, and you know, um, giving their children mother, you know, the support that they need to help raise this child. But yeah, it all starts though with you know how the government broke it down in the 50s and 60s with the, you know, separating the black man. But we can't keep living in, we can't keep living in the 50s and 60s. Like, cause we're in 2021 now. We can't keep living in the 50s and 60s. And don't get me wrong, yeah, we are still suffering the residue from the 50s and 60s. But at, at some point, we have to take accountability for our own actions and say, is some of this lays fault on us as well, you know. And that goes with that mindset I was talking about at the beginning. Do you think that some of the welfare programs that have been launched over the decades have backfired? Some of them are not working. Are you blaming it on some of that? Well, the thing, well, the thing about it, welfare was just a way, welfare was a way, another way again to eliminate the black man out of the house. That now I don't need you to pay the bills. So it's the government it, stepping in and taking over. Right. Right. Well, what is the answer? What's the what's the solution then? I, it's complicated, obviously, but what is the solution? Well, the whole thing about it is that's where it goes with with that with that with that mindset again of saying, do I want to? Would, would I rather get a, a check once a month, or would I rather get a check every week? Now, that's where you know laziness and you know settling and all of those things come into play because that's why I say. We just can't continue to just blame it on, man, the government, the government, the government, when some of the stuff that we are going through is self-inflicted. We we have to get out of that and just say, no, I'm not willing to do that. I, I'm just not willing to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to figure it out. I, I, I'd rather figure it out. You giving somebody um, free money and somebody may say, well, man, I don't got to work for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm good to just sit here. You, you can't sleep at the house. You got to find somewhere to go. That's cool for some people, you know, but look, look at the generation is that it, that, that it tore apart because of the black man wasn't in the house and wasn't there to be a father to his children. And then when you add in drugs and things like that. So it's a, it's a lot of factors that go into that. But like I keep saying, we, we just can't solely blame it on them, even though they 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 take 90 percent of the blame. 90% of the blame, I will blame on them, but 10%, we have to take some accountability for a lot of this stuff as well. I suppose some of the answer lies in a good work ethic for all humans. You go to Absolutely. work, you get a check, you protect and care for your family. And in your case, you go to church, like a lot of Americans do, of course. There was a program launched under the Republican platform, Opportunity Zones, which targeted a lot of the poorer neighborhoods in America. And the idea was to give people who had the capital a tax incentive to 
put their gains in these opportunity zones to create jobs in abandoned neighborhoods and in, in different parts of the country which were crying out for jobs. Are those kind of concepts good? Well, 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 well this how this this how I look at it. If you want to build a community, help them help them build their own community. Why why should you have to build a farm? That that money that you want to that that money that you want to that, that you want to put into their community to pay them ten and fifteen dollars, eleven dollars to come make you millions of dollars. Why not put it into programs that teach them financial literacy and teach them things like that where how to they open can, a business. Right. So they can open their own business and build their own communities and build their own communities back up and, and, and be striving. Why should you have to come in and build these companies? And I'm not saying it's wrong. You know, I'm not saying you wrong because guess what? You capitalizing, you capitalizing off somebody else's off, off somebody else's misfortune. That's the wrong part about it. But if you really had a heart, if you really had a heart for people, you would say, no, nah, we, we we not going to do that. Now let, let's get these people together and let's and let's help them build their own communities. Let us help them build their own homes. Let us let me help them build their own child care centers and things like that. And they'd be all black owned neighborhoods, just like Wall Street, Wall Street, a white owned business. So, why, so, why, so why? go into those neighborhoods, create businesses, high tech stores, all kinds of entrepreneurial pursuits could be done. Create jobs and let locals create the jobs themselves. Absolutely, absolutely, and that, and that, that, I, I believe that would give our people more to look forward to. You know, they, they you would look, you would look forward to getting up, going to work when somebody looked like you. You yeah. would get up, going to work when you know it's your, is is you that's that's gaining. The, the, the income off of this that you're going to help your family for generations and generations and generations, you know, and, and, and now you can reach back and go help somebody else. OK, they they show me how to do it. Now I'm going to show you how to do it. Now I'm going to show you how to do it. Now it becomes a domino effect. Everybody's getting ahead. Everybody's you know, everybody's winning. Why should it always be one percent of these people winning and everybody else losing? I want to bring everyone up to date. You're now an author of a new book. It's getting good reviews. Uh, you're a married family man with a large family and you go to church. How did you get into writing the book? Well, when I when, when, when I had got put in the trunk, when I had, when, the, when the things had happened to me in 2000, I mean, in 1999, when I had got put in the trunk, I knew right then I wanted to write a book. I just didn't know how to begin. I just didn't know where. And um, once I got saved in 2014, and then I just got around people that were actually writing their own books. And it inspired me. Well, if they can do it, I can do it. And, and I sat down and I began to write. I began to write. And um, one thing that I learned that God gave me a, a, a talent to write. Like LeBron James, he, his, he's, his talent is basketball. I got a talent to write. LeBron could beat me at basketball, but he can't beat me at writing. <laughs> So you got your book out and without giving too much away, give us sort of a flavor of what's in the book of people pick it up. Man, it's just really it's just really my life story. And it's um, really how God, grace and his mercy covered me, even when even when I didn't even know who God was. And he he he, he kept me alive for today. He spared my life with all the, um, the death and everything that was around me at that time. Man, he spared me for a purpose. He 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 knew from the day that I was born, to the, from the day that I was um, formed in my mother's womb, that I, I had purpose attached to me, and he wanted me to live out my purpose. 
And um, his, it was just really his grace and his mercy that covered me and kept me safe. And it, what my book is really explaining to you um, is just telltale signs with uh, parents out here that, that, that may be raising a son that's in, in, in a gang and you trying to figure out what's going on. I'm giving you telltale signs. I'm breaking, your, I'm breaking my whole life history down to you. So if you see some of these signs that I'm, that I'm pointing out to you, man, react to it. Get on top of it. Sign your son in a mentorship. Because one thing that I learned, man, we man, mentors is, is very, very critical in, in, in everybody's life. And women, little boys, little girls, we all need a mentor. We all need somebody that we can look up to that, that can tell us, you know what, Wendell, if you keep walking, if you walk in that puddle, your shoes, your feet gonna get wet, your shoes gonna get wet. But if you come around and go this way, man, it's everything gonna be good. Going this way, it may take a little longer, but guess what? You're gonna get over there safe because. Um, people, people, we have been taught all the time. You heard this growing up that um, life experience is the best experience. I don't believe that. I believe somebody else's experience is the best experience. That's the best teacher. If if somebody else is telling you, man, I went down that road before. Don't go down that road. And 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 and, I, and if I know they went down that road before, why would I look at them and say, no, nah, I'm still gonna go? If the bear is over there eat somebody, I want you to tell me, say, Wendell, the bear over there. <laughs> don't, don't go over there. But I'm going to say, if I tell you, no, I'm going over there. Guess what? Whatever happened to me is at my own risk because I had a mentor. I had somebody that, that already went over there and seen that the bear was over there and I didn't take heed. You have your own business. You can tell us about that if you like. You've written your book. You have your family and you have your church. So that's your, that's your life today. That's 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 my life. Um, yeah, I, I I have a I have a couple of businesses actually. Me and my wife, we actually we own a um, commercial cleaning service and a residential cleaning service. That's um, one of our business. And then I I, I I'm in a, I have a mentorship business as well. Um, I mentor men and young and, and young men, youth and, and, and um, adult men. Um, and that's really my passion. That's 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 my passion. That's what I love to do. I I, I do it 24 hours a day. I just love inspiring people, love. Um, I, I just want to help you get over that wall that they say you can't get over, you know, and that, that's what I really love to do. My mentorship, man, that's 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 really near and dear to my heart. And, um, man, I'm just trying to be the I'm just trying to be the best me I can be. And, yeah, my church, man, my my church family, my my, my pastor, Marlon Locke and his wife, Kimberly Locke, man, they mean so much to me and my wife and all my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, they they have pushed me and man really helped me bring the best up out of me and bring the best up out of my wife and just and just, and just always supported us in everything that we did. So man, we just humble and we 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 so grateful for just having them in our lives. And um man, sky's the limit. What would you say to Americans and people generally who are struggling in their life today, maybe with depression, loneliness, no job? Maybe their family has broken up. Maybe they've dabbled in drugs, but just they're at the they're at the bottom in life. How could they pull themselves up? What would you advise them? I would tell those person, me personally, that have I have dealt with depression, and I know depression is a disease. That's not nothing. That's just not a feeling that people. Some people just say they depressed when they ain't got money and things like that. Um, but depression is a disease. I know that uh, firsthand. But one thing that I would tell them, you can never get too low that God, Jesus cannot, will not meet you where you are. He will always meet you where you are. You're never too low for Jesus. He can, he can find you wherever you are. All you got to do is want to be found. 
You know, money, money don't make you happy. Money don't buy happiness. Money, a lot of people think if they had all the money in the world that they'd be better. Now you're still gonna deal with issues. You're still gonna deal with things that only what happens if you have a hundred million dollars, but they say you have stage four cancer. Your money can't, your money can't cure your cancer, but Jesus can. You know, and I and I know that for a fact. This is not nothing I'm just saying. I've I've seen him cure somebody with stage four cancer, somebody that I know. So with that being said, man, you're never too low where to the fact where Jesus cannot find you. Jesus can find you wherever you are if you want to be found. Because there's a lot of people, man, they don't want to be found. They love to wallow in their depression and they love to wallow in they, they downfalls. But if you want to dust yourself off and pick yourself back up, man, let me tell you something. You can always find a friend in Jesus. Where can people reach you? Where can they get the book? Yep, you can go on my website at wendellwhitespeaks.com or you can um, reach me at Arthur Wendell White on my Facebook page or you can go to my uh, Instagram page at wendellw underscore 24 or on my email at info wendellwhitespeaks.com and man, you can just reach out to me if you have any young men or or you a man yourself that need to be mentored to. Um, hit me on one of those um, on one of those outlets and let's set up a free consultation and we could talk. I have a four week program and in my program, man, I'm guaranteed to help you get over that wall that you that 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 people saying that you can't climb. I'm going to help you climb it and I'm going to help you get over. it. So if you really want to get over, it, if you really want to mentor, if you really want to be better just in life general, hit me up and man, we could discuss anything that you want to discuss and, and we'll go from there. The Devil Thought He Had Me is the name of your book. Wendell White, this has been an incredible interview. I've enjoyed it. We'll catch up again. Thanks a lot, sir. You have a good one. God bless. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.